Good evening. It's uh, brilliant to be with you again. Um, this is my uh, third time here at CE, uh, so uh, it's great to be back. Um, I want to talk to you tonight about brave faith. And you'll see on the screen there, we've been doing some brave faith nights this year. All across the UK and Ireland, young people have been hearing this message of brave faith. Um, and there have been thousands of them. So you are part of thousands of young people who are hearing the challenge to be brave in faith. Um, so you're part of a movement. You're part of others that are they're doing this stuff. So hopefully that uh, inspires and encourages you this evening. Let me take you uh, to the summer in, middle, in the Middle East. It's hot. Very hot. The room is crammed. There are blankets covering up the windows so people can't look in. It's dark, apart from a few candles, and nobody is speaking in more than a whisper because nobody wants to be heard. There are people asking each other, what's going on? Desperate to see and hear what's happening next. These people are also desperate to hear more about this man called Jesus. They've heard about him, but they know that this name is dangerous, and even saying this name in public can land them in prison. This is the place where Mujtaba, a 17-year-old, heard about Jesus for the first time. See, when he was a teenager, Mujtaba got into drink and drugs and looking at all the wrong things online. The whole time he was looking for happiness, but he couldn't find it. He had a difficult home life. His older brother was a drug, drug addict and would often beat him up. Life was really hard. But then something changed. Much of his older brother, the brother who had never been nice to him, had an encounter with Jesus, which instantly healed him of his addiction. And he was so different that much of it began to take notice. He saw how much kinder and happier his brother was. So Mujtaba wanted to explore for himself what had caused this change. So he started watching videos on YouTube of people speaking and talking about Jesus. And then he went with his brother to a secret house church, meeting in darkness as I've described. He wanted to explore for himself what this man Jesus was all about. And after a few months of being with these Christians, seeing that they were genuine, they weren't trying to trick him. Mujtaba decided to follow Jesus too. A few years later, he found himself not only following Jesus, but leading that very secret house church that he'd gone to with his brother. You see, many of the other leaders had been arrested and put in prison. So they needed new leaders. And at the age of 20, Mujtaba decided to be brave to step up to the plate, to help lead. Despite all of their precautions and safety measures, this church was raided by the police just a few months after Mujtaba had taken over. Mujtaba was arrested, put in solitary confinement for 22 days. He was often blindfolded, beaten, and tortured for information about other Christians in the area. And during this time, Mujtaba would often remember what he'd been told about what Jesus went through on the cross. The beatings, the torture, 
and ultimately death. And much of it described Jesus as being so close to him through it all. Now, after 22 days, Mujtaba thankfully was released. But he now had a choice to make. Did he leave Iran, the country where he was living, which is uh, on the world watch list in the top 10 of the most dangerous places to be a Christian? Did he leave and go somewhere safer, where he can meet more openly like this? Or did he stay and go back to leading that secret house church? Let me decide for yourself for a minute what you thought he did, or indeed what you might have done. Well, Mujtaba told me when I met him that he um, and his best friend, who's not even the same age as him, who was an older man who helped lead the church with him, he and his best friend were in prison at that same time. And when they got out and they faced this decision, they turned to each other and they said, we've come this far, we've already been in prison. What's the worst that can happen? Sure, let's keep going. And so much the bird decided to stay. He led the church, still meeting in secret, being very careful about who was watching, where he went, and for 18 months, everything was good. The church started to grow. More and more people wanted to come and find out about Jesus. But all of that noise and all of that extra attendance got them to the attention of the police. Again, he was arrested and put in jail, this time for three years. Mujtaba says this, I never prayed for God to release me from prison. It doesn't matter what situation I'm in, I can work in God's kingdom wherever God places me. And he says that when he first went into prison, he thought that he'd stuffed up, that he'd mucked up and God was punishing him, that he'd done it all wrong and, and he couldn't do anything now for God, that he'd failed. And then God said to him, stop being selfish. It's not about you. Look around yourself. And so he looked around and he saw all these other prisoners. And he started to see them as God saw them. And he started to tell them about this Jesus that he'd just discovered. One of those guys was a man called Muhammad. As you can tell by his name, he was a Muslim. And uh, Mujtaba had got a reputation for talking about Jesus. So people started to come and, uh, and ask questions of him. And people started to become Christians. But this guy, Muhammad, wanted to argue with him. So he came at him one day, and he argued and, and tried to discount who Jesus was. He says, he's not who you say he is. He's just a prophet. And uh, Mujtaba admitted that he'd just come out of another period of solitary confinement because they wanted to keep him away from prisoners because so many were becoming Christians. And he'd come out, and he said, I was exhausted. I didn't want to talk to anybody, and I was fed up. And so this man was arguing, and he didn't have the energy. So he said to Muhammad, he said, look, your argument isn't with me. It's with Jesus himself. So take it up with him instead. And the man looked at him and said, what do you mean? He said, well, go and when you go to bed tonight, just simply say, Jesus, if you're there, speak to me. So Muhammad went off and disappeared, and Mujtaba breathed a sigh of relief, and he went to sleep himself. And uh, the next morning, Muhammad came at him again. And Mushaba thought, oh no, here we go. I haven't got the energy. And he came and he spoke to him. And as he approached, he saw that Muhammad's face had completely changed. And Muhammad said, Mujtaba, it's unbelievable. You won't believe what happened to me. He says, you have to understand, I'm on death row. And Muhammad had committed multiple murders. He was a, a drug lord. He 
Um, he'd done so many crimes that he was on death row. He had no chance of being released. And he said, much about every time I go to sleep, all I can think about is death, death, death. Well, last night I did what you said. That Jesus, if you're there, speak to me. And I fell asleep like that in an instant. And I slept all night for the first time in years. And I woke up this morning and all I could think about was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So please, will you tell me about him? And so Mujtaba sat down and over the period of a few days, he talked to him about Jesus, explained about him dying on the cross to, to set him free and that actually death wasn't the end, that there was life after death, that he could, he could have an eternal future and that his sins would be forgiven. And Muhammad couldn't believe this. This was, how was this available to him, this free uh, pass from sin and punishment and death? And so he gave his life to Jesus. He became a Christian. And for, for a few months, these two men were close friends. They talked about Jesus every day. And they led other people to Christ. And then eventually, because of this, they were separated. The prison guards didn't want them to talk anymore about Jesus. So they split them up. And after a few years, Mujtaba um, was coming towards the end of his time. And he asked one of the guards what had happened to his friend Muhammad. And he said, he was executed last week. And Mujtaba said, for all of his time in prison, those whole three years, that was the best day of the time he was there. Because he knew that his friend had gone from death to life. That he was now in paradise. That he was set free from all his sin. Set free from all the wrong he'd done and all the fear that he had. And he was with Jesus, his saviour. This isn't just a story. There's me and Muhammad and a bunch of my mates in a kebab shop in Oxfordshire just a couple of weeks ago. Mujtaba is one of my close friends. Next to me, on the other side of me, is a guy from uh, North Korea, Timothy, who was imprisoned three times in North Korea. It's number one on the world watch list, the most dangerous place to be a Christian. These aren't just stories, guys. This is real. And you are um, going through the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is full of people like these two who were living under pressure, in the minority, told that following Jesus was wrong, and yet they do it anyway. They were the original brave Christians. But there's a couple of them there that I know personally. But what is brave faith? You may be thinking that you could never be brave like that. I always think that when I meet these people. But it's not just about being brave enough to go to prison for God. Being, uh, being a Christian is the bravest decision that you can ever make. Even today, in, in Northern Ireland, it's the bravest decision you could ever make. It's a decision to say, God, I want you to control my life. I will follow you whatever you ask, wherever you lead. A life of brave faith is one where we listen to God and respond when he prompts us. That could look like you sharing your faith with your friends. Sounds scary. But it could also look like being brave in the face of hate and choosing to love instead or being brave and, and, and generous instead of stingy or being bravely inclusive of other people when they're being left out by others or being patient when you're waiting for God to answer your prayers so at open doors we meet these kind of people all the time millions of Christians around the world 360 million in fact who follow Jesus even when it's dangerous. 
For some, that brave faith means uh, continuing to pray when their situation looks hopeless. Or it means sharing their COVID provisions when the people in the village are the ones that beat you up. You take it across and you give what you have been given to them. It means owning a Bible in a country where it's illegal to have one. Or gathering in the middle of the night to pray and worship with others. We're all called to brave faith, even if it might look a little bit different. But the thing with bravery is that it grows. It's the good news of uh, following Jesus that once we start to show a little bravery, stepping out of our comfort zone, it equips you the next time and the next time after and the next time after that. What starts off as hard becomes easier as you get used to stepping out. If you've ever had to do something that, that feels a bit brave, that was scary at first, you know what I mean? An extreme sport, uh, learning to ride a bike even as a kid, you have to keep on doing it, even though it's hard. And my little girl is four and we're trying to teach her and every time she takes a foot off the pedals, she cries, Daddy, don't let go. Daddy, don't let go. Because she's scared, but she's becoming braver and she's not giving up. But the amazing thing about brave faith is that we don't do it on our own. It's not in our own strength. Because our father is there holding on to the bike with us, helping us to find our own strength. And as Christians, God promises us his Holy Spirit, his power at work in and through us. And we see this in Scripture, in 2 Timothy 1, uh, verse 7. This, uh, this letter is uh, written to a young man called Timothy. I'm just going to read the first bit of it out to you. It says this, reading it at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And he writes to Timothy, My dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I'm reminded, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. See, so this book written to this young church leader called Timothy, a bit like Mujdaba, written by a man named Paul who wrote loads of the New Testament. And he knew, as we heard, Timothy's mother and grandmother called Lois and Eunice. These two ladies, ladies are hardly mentioned in, the, in scripture, but here's two ladies that are mentioned of having had great faith and passed it on to their, to their family member, Timothy, to this young lads and uh, so he's like a son to Timothy they're literally like family and he's writing from Rome and Paul was probably living under house arrest he's been caught he's being punished for being a Christian 
all because he'd been sharing about Jesus. And he's aware that his time is probably coming to an end. So this opening line of to Timothy, my dear son, is loaded with meaning. It's his second letter to him, and it might be his last. He wants to encourage him because the Romans are arresting more and more Christians. Some are even starting to share fake news about Jesus so that people stop following him. And there he says in verse 7, the Spirit of God does not make us timid. Some other translations says, does not make us cowards. See, in the face of everything, Paul is saying, lean on God. Lean on his Holy Spirit. This incredible gift that Jesus promised before he went to heaven. The Holy Spirit gives us power to live for him wherever God places us. To live for him in the face of hate and to become more like Jesus in the process. Because of the Holy Spirit, nothing can separate us from God. We read in scripture that neither death or life, angels or demons, the present, the future, the powers, any heights of this earth, anything that we face, no government leaders, no secret police, no legal restrictions can separate us from God. And Christians around the world know that to be true today. There is nothing, not even prison, that could separate Mujtaba from the love of God. Even in that dark place, he was able to live for him. Here's the question, how can I, how can we, how can you grow in brave faith? Here are three key ways in which we can do this together. Firstly, we can surrender to God. Surrender to him and simply say yes to him. The call on, his, on, on your life is to say yes to God who made you, who knows you better than anybody else, who's for you and is not going to let you down. Say yes to him. It's something Open Doors founder there in the picture, Brother Andrew, uh, didn't, he totally didn't understand God. He was a young man and he never heard about him. He didn't really get him very well, but he started to explore and he started to feel this call to go and serve uh, God. And he said yes to him. He was a student struggling to pay bills. He was working in a factory. But all he knew that was that God started to do amazing things around him. And he prayed a prayer which has become known as the step of yes. He said, whenever, wherever, however you want me, I'll go. I'll begin this very minute. Lord, as I stand up from this place, as I take my first step forward out of the door, will you consider this step towards complete obedience to you? I'll call it the step of yes. Do you need to say yes to God today? If you've been waiting, if you've been thinking you need to be somebody else, when you're, when you're like somebody else, better than you are now, don't wait. In Isaiah, Isaiah 6, Isaiah says to God, here I am, send me. Sometimes our response can sometimes be, here I am, send me once I know a bit more. Once I'm older, once I finish binging this TV series, once I've got less stuff on, when I'm a bit less stressed, I'll go then, I'll say yes then. But I want to tell you there's no better time than tonight to make that step of yes, to say, here I am, send me. And that might be send me across the road to that family that don't have very much, or send me across the classroom, down the hallway, to that, that kid that's struggling. Or send me to someone here tonight who just needs me to pray with them. Here's the second thing we can do to help our brave faith. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. In John 14, the Holy Spirit descends as a helper. 
The Spirit is literally here to help us, not to scare us or confuse us, but to help us. When we think we're not good enough, the Spirit takes over. It's not just a tag on either or an extra for us as a Christian. The Bible says when we accept Jesus into our lives, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. God's helper who is there for you and who works both in you and through you is going to make you more like Jesus because you can't do it on your own. And thirdly, we need to learn how to pray. Learn how to pray. Prayer is the most powerful thing we can do as Christians. Sometimes the bravest thing. We can often base our understanding and decisions on what we can see with our own eyes, but prayer works in unseen places. It can change situations around us. It can impact what happens in places on the other side of the world, but it can also change us as we pray. We can sometimes be tempted to think our prayer makes no difference, no impact, but our prayers are heard by God and he acts on our prayers, even if it's not always in our own understanding. I met a guy a few weeks ago. He came over from East Africa, a man called Fakiru, who, uh, when he became a Christian, he was kicked out of his own family, literally kicked out of his own family, to the point where when his dad died, they'd still never really spoken for years all because he'd chosen to follow Jesus. And at that time, as a young man, um, a bunch of people from Open Doors heard about him and his friends, and they came and visited them. And they said, what are you doing here? How did you find out about us? They said, well, somebody told us, and somebody else told them, and, and we came, and we thought you might just need some help. And from that moment on, Fikiri said, I want to do for other people what you've done for me. And so for 20 years, he travels around East Africa meeting Christians who've also been through hard times, just sitting with them, saying, how can I help? What can we do? And when he was here in Northern Ireland, he said to me and a few others, he says, you have no idea. When you pray here in Northern Ireland, you'll think your prayer just disappears. But we see the outworking of those prayers every single day. As people are saved and helped and people come to Jesus and as we feel encouraged to keep on going, your prayers make a real difference and whenever we ask Christians around the world what can we do to help the very first thing the most popular thing the top answer that we always get is please will you stand with us in prayer cover us in prayer partner with us in prayer don't just pray for us pray with us they know that through prayer God moves and as we pray we're connected with them the Bible says we're all part of one family when one part of the family one part of the body as well as the other image of the body, the human body. When one part suffers, we all suffer. Prayer is our way of standing and connecting together. We might not see the answers. We might not see the responses. But prayer does work in the unseen places. I recently heard as well from Fakiru of a, a lady from Germany who'd been praying for this other lady for, for 20 years. And she'd never heard anything of an update of what had happened to her. And so 20 years later, she contacted Fakir and the team and said, what happened to that lady? And Fakir didn't know her, so he asked around and he found somebody who knew and they went and met her. And she'd had the most incredible turnaround in her life. She'd been healed from sickness. She'd, um, she'd, she'd been set free from prison. She'd um, become a, a leader in the church and the church was growing. God had answered all kinds of prayers and they were able to find that lady in Germany again and make the two ladies meet and say, look what your prayers did. Can you imagine how that would feel? 
20 years of praying, not knowing what is happening, and bingo, there's the answer in front of you, person to person. Prayer makes a difference. We have to learn how to pray. So tonight, I want to ask you a couple of things, because we're all called to brave faith. Maybe you don't call yourself a Christian, but hearing Mujtaba's story of him coming to faith when he'd never heard of Jesus before, maybe that challenge is for you tonight to say yes to him to say this is that this is incredible news like Muhammad this is incredible news my life's not great but I want to find out more about this Jesus because it sounds like it's a game changer if you want to say yes tonight to make that decision tonight please talk to somebody before you leave let them pray with you or if you call yourself a Christian tonight you know maybe you've been playing it safe you know you've been listening to God's and maybe you've been prompted to do something or act on something, but you've just never done it. You've just never felt right. You're not quite ready yet. Tonight's the night to say yes to that thing, to be brave, to be courageous, to do whatever it is that you feel challenged about. Um, we want to give you one of these brave faith packs. We gave out some last time I was here with Naomi. You can scan that code. You can see me afterwards and we can fill out a form on our website. We can get a pack that helps you go on a journey for six weeks of brave faith taking little steps every day and that's a great way to do that um, you can also take on your way out one of these maps it's a fold out map with uh, the 50 countries on the world watch list with little things to help you pray it's got loads of stories on the back there's one for you each as you go out tonight it's a great way to start committing to pray for some of these people around the world and see the difference that your prayers can make please do take one of those on the way out just as we come into land I just want to tell you this story this is my friend Bahir I met him nearly six years ago on my first trip to the Middle East Bahir grew up in a country called Turkmenistan it's a crazy little country um, it's the North Korea of, uh, of Central Asia um, it's a uh, leader is a bit bonkers um, but religion is completely ruled out across the board um, no churches are allowed and um, Bahir came, became a Christian in the 80s and he thinks he was number seven in his country to become a Christian if you can count that much you know there's not many Christians around and uh, he grew up and he's a bit like um, Mujtaba uh, his, his life wasn't great his family didn't have very much he didn't have very many, much, many prospects in his life um, and all his best friend and him wanted to do was be in the KGB the KGB were the kind of local gangs. They, uh, they recruited young men. They got them to do stuff they didn't want to do. They got them hooked on drugs by a way of keeping them in the gang. And then um, they would lead them on into kind of recruitment into the bigger organization. And the, they were the kind of mafia of the country and of much of uh, the Soviet Union, that part of the world at the time. But this is what these guys wanted to do. These were their heroes, these fellas. And so they would kind of play act as kids with sticks as guns, dreaming about the day they would be in the KGB. Then in his teens, he really did get hooked on drugs. His life went off the rails. And um, at one day, a traveling evangelist came to Turkmenistan, came to the town where he lived. And he and his best friend decided to go for the crack to see what all the fuss was about. And so they went along, and it was there that we hear heard the name of Jesus for the very first time. Just think about that for a second. He never heard the name of Jesus. And he heard about how uh, Jesus had died to save other people. 
to save the world, to save others. And he said nobody in the KGB would ever die for somebody else. What a stupid thing to do. Why would you do that? And it sounded bonkers. And he said, I want to find out more about this Jesus because he sounds a little bit interesting. And he said to his friend, will you come and hear about him too? And his friend said, no, I want nothing to do with it. And he went on his own way. But here, Farron the speaker, he heard about Jesus. He got a copy of the Bible, went home and read it, and he gave his life to Jesus. And he was so excited, he told his family. And they all became Christians. He told his friends, they all became Christians. His town, loads of people started to hear. And he began to go and travel and speak a bit like the other speaker. And he saw thousands of people come to faith. And the KGB, the mafia, these gangs, these people in, who wanted to control the town, the country, the region, they heard about him. And they wanted to put a stop to it. So they arrested him and they imprisoned him. And he was in prison for, for a long time. And they, a bit like Mujtaba, they would torture him. They would beat him. One of the things they used to do was lie him on the floor and put the heels of their boots in his mouth and press down with his head squashed against the concrete floor. He was screaming in pain. And they would say, shut your mouth, stop talking about Jesus. And when they removed their boots, he would say, you can shut my mouth, but you'll never stop what's happened in my heart and I can't stop talking about him. And then one day he was laying in his cell and it was dark and the door opened, the light shone in, and as he, his eyes adjusted, he saw the silhouette of a man carrying a chair. And as the man carried the chair, he put it in the middle of the room, and he lifted uh, Bahir onto it. And as they looked face to face, their eyes met. Who do you think it was? It was his best friend. His best friend who'd made it into the KGB. And he sat him on the chair, and he plugged it into the wall. And he turned it on and he shocked him just enough to put him through extreme agony. Not to kill him, just to shock him. And he did that over and over again that time and then a few more times over the course of the next few months trying to get him to stop following Jesus. To, 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 to give up, to refuse talking about him. And eventually, uh, Bahir was released. And he fled to another country where he still lives to this day uh, just to keep his safety and he was at home one day in his apartment and there was a knock on the door. And he went to the door and he looked through the peephole. And who do you think was standing there? Not Jesus. His best friend. His best friend came to his door and he opened it. I might have told him to do one. But he opened his door. He welcomed him in and his friend said, I'm so sorry for what I did to you. They've kicked me out. I, couldn't, I was sick and I couldn't work and so they've rejected me. And all I could think about was how you never rejected your God. And I can't understand it, so please, will you tell me about him? And so he got him a meal, they sat down, and he shared the gospel. And over a few nights, he, uh, he, he told him more. And his friend became a Christian, and he got him a, an apartment and a job, and they're still friends to this day. And I said, be here, I would love to tell your story to people back in Ireland, because that is the gospel. That is grace in action. Loving your enemy. And I want to tell people it's incredible. So uh, we changed his name. That's not his real name. And this is the only picture that we'll ever use of his story. And I only use it um, when it's not online. Because that's the gap in the man himself. But Bahir said, Chris, whenever you tell my story, there's one condition. Make sure you always tell people this. He said, if I had to go through all of that again, every single bit of it, years in prison, all that punishment 
that betrayal from my best friend, if I had to go through all of that again, I absolutely would. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. If you feel called, challenged in any way to be brave, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, take Behir's words. Jesus is worth it. Whatever is facing you that you're worried about, maybe it's saying yes to him for the first time. Jesus is worth it. I promise you, he's worth it. And these people around the world are the example and the reason why. So please do come and get a map on the way out. Please do scan that code and get a copy of Brave Faith because it will really encourage you. But I would love to pray for you now if that's okay. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you that you sent your son and that he modeled bravery better than anybody else. That he went even to the point of death for the sake of us. To pay the price for us so that we didn't have to. Father, thank you for that example, for that incredible gift that is still changing lives around the world today. Father, I pray for anybody in this room tonight who has never said yes to you, who has never taken that brave step of yes. Father, may tonight be the night. May they not leave this place without giving you their yes. And if that is you tonight and you want to do that, there's leaders around, there's people that you've seen at the front, just grab one of them. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be with your mates. You can do it on your own, whatever that looks like. Please don't leave. But maybe there's many more of you who have been playing it safe for years. Father, I pray for those who feel like they want to be bolder for you. They want to do big things for you. They don't want to just middle along doing it the same as everybody else. They want to be courageous. Maybe it's the ones heading out on mission teams this year. Thank you for that step of yes they've already given. But Lord, may you make them even more brave as they prepare for those trips. Give them courage that they don't know that they have. And may tonight be part of that building process. Father, please lead all of us to be more courageous for you. And for the millions of Christians who even tonight are scared stiff because of what might be waiting for them outside the doors. Scared stiff about who might have watched them walk into a building to meet with other people and what that might mean for their future, even for their life. Father, would you make them brave tonight? Strengthen them in incredible ways. And may we never stop praying for them. Because we're all family. And that's what family do. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.